Welcome to Midway this morning. We're glad that you're here. We want you to know that. If you were here with us last Sunday morning, you know that we began a study of abuse, and I'm not trying to abuse you, but we're talking about abuse. And if you were here with us last Sunday morning, you know that we did not complete all of the blanks that were on the back of the bulletin. Several of you have asked if we were going to do those this morning. They are contained on the back of this week's bulletin, and uh, along with some new ones that we put on there as well. And so you should be able to fill in the blanks on uh, last week's, the last six blanks on last week's, by looking at this week's bulletins, even though three of them are not worded in exactly the same way. But you should be able to easily figure those out as we go through the lesson this morning. And so if you have one of this morning's, we'll go through and talk about that. As I was studying for the lesson, I happened to run across this on the Internet It is a copy of a law that was passed in uh, Mississippi back in 2013. Basically what it is, without taking time to read all of it, it is a law that has been passed to uh, punish anyone who would condone abuse that takes place in your household. And so if uh, if you're found to be violating that, condoning the abuse that's taking place, not actually doing the abusing, but condoning the abuse, you could spend up to a year in jail as well as pay $1,000 in fine or both. I I, I looked, I'm not a lawyer nor the son of one, but uh, I looked and I couldn't find one that's similar in the state of Alabama. Perhaps some of you, those who have worked with that can correct me on that, and I'd be glad to correct that, but... But you know, I'm thinking about the laws that have been passed, and, and it makes me question, what kind of society do we live in that has to pass laws that, that even punishes those who would condone what we know as abuse, what we would think everyone would know to be wrong? Don't you think that everyone uh, should know that abuse is wrong, whether it's child abuse or physical abuse of a spouse or someone else, elderly abuse, whatever it may be, or, or, or even when it comes to emotional abuse or some of those kinds of things, wouldn't you think that everyone would know that these kinds of actions and activities are wrong? And even more than that, I would go one step farther, wouldn't you think that everyone would agree that uh, whenever it comes to abuse that... Uh, you'd want to do the right thing in regard to that. We would love to believe that that people would act like that. However, that's just not the case. And and what's more than that, it's been a long-standing problem throughout the ages of people who not only would condone abuse, but would be ones who would promote abuse and do all kinds of things that are in regard to that. Last week, as we began our study of the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13, we, we looked at two different uh, characters in that particular account of abuse. On Sunday morning, we looked at the one who was abused, and of course that was Tamar. And then the last Sunday night, we looked at the abuser, and that was Amnon. And somebody might say, well, preacher, you know, I think it may be good for us to look at abuse and things like that, but, but I'm not an abuser and I've never been abused. And to that I would respond by saying, that is wonderful, I'm glad that that is the case with you. But I would also remind you this morning that as we read from 2 Samuel chapter 13, that the abused and the abuser are not the only ones who are mentioned 
in the account. As a matter of fact, there are three more individuals that we need to look at from that account, and we'll do that this morning. But as we look at these additional three individuals that are mentioned here in 2 Samuel chapter 13, it may be that you could find yourself in one of those three. Maybe you're not the abused or the abuser, but maybe you have occupied the position of one of these other three that we'll talk about in, uh, in a short period of time this morning. And so, as we start, as we jump off from that point this morning, I want us to get right into the lesson and so that we can cover as much of the material as we possibly can. That brings us to the next point. If you're looking at abuse and cases of abuse, we have to take a look at the abetter. Now, when we're talking about the abetter, we're talking about one who abets. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, that's simply a way of saying one who encourages, supports, or countenances by aid or approval, usually in wrongdoing. That's, that's the, an abettor. And when we think about the story that we read, we have an abettor here in our story. If you go back to chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, you read the passage that begins in this way, but Amnon had a friend. And we know that that friend is identified. That friend by the name of Jonadab is there. And Jonadab, the friend of Amnon, is the one who gave the scheme and the logic and the encouragement for committing a sin that affected a host of people in this particular story. Remember, he was the one who came in and said, Amnon, son of the king, why is it that you're looking the way you look day after day? Why is it that you're looking so sick? And, and Amnon tells him about his desire to have his sister and and John Adab is the one who says, well, here's how that can take place. As we think about it, Amnon's friend, you know, as he's called there in Scripture, he's called a friend. We know that he is related to him. He's kinfolks, if you will. But as we think about friends, sometimes friends can wreck us. That was the case here. This friend came up with a scheme that, that resulted eventually in the death of Amnon. And the same thing happens with us today. If we get the wrong friends, we do things that we normally would not do. And I'm not here to preach on friends this morning, but young people and older people alike need to remember that. Sometimes our friends can wreck us. And not only that, but friends, when we think about friends, they can and they do make the difference. In this case, it was Jonadab who made the difference in what Amnon did. And unfortunately, quite often, it's friends who make the wrong difference, but we can make the right difference. And so we would want to be a good influencer of people. But again, as we think about Amnon's friend, we need to remember that we have to have some safeguards in our life against uh, the friends who would lead us in the wrong direction, who would uh, uh, act in the wrong, with the wrong influence upon us. And, and that's called, in our own life, having a set of principles that are based on God's Word. And not only having those principles, but the courage to endure the loneliness and isolation rather than compromising those things that we know to be right. 
So Amnon's friend, he led him in the wrong direction, and our friends can do the same, but we need to be willing to stand up against that. I want us to understand this morning that Jonadab, he never told Amnon to rape Tamar. As far as the story is concerned, we never see him actually saying, all right, now when you get her alone, you can rape her. You can can just have your way with her. And I think that's important. You know, we sort of look at the story and we think, you know, how evil he was. And, And let me simply say here, I believe that he did have some bad motives and if we were actually doing a, a standalone study on Jonadab, we wouldn't just understand what he did here. He's mentioned again later on in the chapter, and he's trying to ingratiate himself, it seems, to David and get on his good side. Now remember, Amnon was the eldest son of King David, and eventually, if things had gone in the way that they normally would, he would have been the king. And so Jonadab perhaps was trying to win some favor with him, and later on he tries to win favor with David as well, but not a good character at all. But he never told Amnon, as far as we can tell in the text, he never told him to rape her. He he did tell him how to get to be alone with her. He, He did tell him, you know, some things that he thought would please Amnon and and would make it easier for him to have his way with her. But as we think about that, whether he intended Amnon to rape her or simply to seduce her, he participated in the sin. He was one who participated in the wrongdoing that Amnon himself took part in. And so this morning, I want us to think about a few verses. I want us to understand we can't do that. We don't want to occupy that position. It's possible for us to do it. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, Do not lay hands, uh, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Laying on of hands would be not, not simply putting your hands on them, but choosing them to be your person or your, your guide or your advisor or whatever it may be. Uh, don't, don't be hasty in doing that, but don't take part in the sins of others, whether it's in an overt manner or if it's in a manner where we didn't actually act with them, but we gave our approval to them. Now, I understand that from 2 John chapter 9, or chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, only one chapter in the book of 2 John. But it comes in the area of doctrine where it tells us, you know, how it's possible for us to be partakers in other men's sin. Someone who comes, first part of the passage, someone who comes teaching something that's false. If we, if we sort of take them in and, and, you know, we don't disagree, we just sort of bid them Godspeed is the way that it's put in one translation. If we take them in and give them greeting, what do we do? Well, the Bible says there in verse number 11, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We may not be actually standing in a pulpit or in a Bible class teaching the falsehoods that the teacher's teaching, the false teacher's teaching, but if we just give our approval to that person, we take part in the wicked 
works of that one. Whether Jonadab intended for Amnon to abuse his stepsister or not, he participated in the sin. We can't do that as Christians. That's not the position that we want to occupy. That's not the kind of action that you and I as God's people would want to take. Now, why is that? Well, look at another verse with us, passage, Matthew chapter 18, verses 5 through 7. The Bible there speaks about one who would lead another astray. Let's just read it together. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it's necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come, by the temptation comes. The one who would lead another astray to do wrong, as in the case of Jonadab and Amnon, illustrated in the Old Testament. God says, Whoa. Sin cost our Lord his life. It cost him. Something in eternity, there's some part of him that, that is not exactly like it was before he came down. That he decided was that we were more valuable than him holding on to that. Sin's bad news. Temptations are bad news. But if we're the ones who's leading another astray, by our actions, by our words, by our encouragement, by condoning. I can't help but believe that God has strong punishment awaiting us. Woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. If we would be the abettor, one who abets, one who aids, one who assists another in his sin then the curse of God rests upon us. Unfortunately, there are many in our world, as is uh, exemplified by the necessity of the law that we just noticed casually as we began our lesson from the state of Mississippi who would condone others. You shouldn't take that from someone. You need to be the boss in your... Stand up, be a man in your home. We can, we can get things out of whack. We don't want to do that. And so, we don't want to occupy the position that Jonadab occupied in the story that we're reading. One of an abettor. Secondly, this morning, in cases of abuse, we have to consider the oblivious. There are some people who are just oblivious to what's going on. Now, when we're talking about being oblivious, we're talking about being unmindful or unaware or, or as the definition itself says, unconscious, not from the standpoint they've been knocked out, but they're just simply not looking for, they're unconscious of what's going on around them. In the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13, look particularly if you have your Bible out to verses 6 and 7. 
2 Samuel 13, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. That's what Jonadab had suggested that he do. Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I might eat bread from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, and saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Now to remind you of something, that after Tamar was raped, and we studied this last time, last Sunday night I think it was, after Tamar was raped and she came out crying, uh, she had already been run out of Amnon's house, the door had been locked so she couldn't come back in, but somewhere along the way she meets up with her brother Absalom, and do you remember the first words as far as Scripture is concerned? The first thing that comes out of Absalom's mouth, have you been with your brother Amnon? She's crying. She's got dirt on her head. Her beautiful garment has been torn in mourning. Have you been? Not what happened to you. Not has someone attacked you. Do we need to send out a search party, get the posse out and go look for them? Have you been with your brother Amnon? Has he gone on and finally done something that everybody evidently perhaps had observed were, was on his mind, except for David. You see, David played right into the, to the plan. He, he didn't participate. He, he, he just simply didn't observe what was going on. But even more than that, sometimes I want us to understand that we get oblivious to things because we get blinded. We, we can't see what's actually going on because of the feelings that we have for another person. Drop down, if you will, in that same book, 2 Samuel chapter 13, and I want you to look down to verse number 21. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 21. And here the Bible simply says these words, When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. Okay. So what? What did he do about it? Nothing. Nothing. My question is, why did he not do anything? He was the king. Why did he not do anything? It was his daughter that had been raped. She had been hurt. She's going to live, according to Scripture, what we find out about her, she's going to live a desolate woman for the rest of her life. What does David do about it? Nothing. Why? I think the answer to that is found in reading from the Septuagint. You know, when you see, sometimes if you're reading things from Scripture and you see the, the LXX, that's the Septuagint. In other words, that is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And they, uh, the people of Jesus' day, many of them did not read uh, from the Hebrew or read Hebrew, were not able to do that. They did speak and read Greek. And so 
the translation had been done sometime prior to the time of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus even quoted from the Septuagint. In addition to that, back in 1947, there were a bunch of scrolls that were found that are simply known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They, were, they came from very early centuries and they were writings and fragments of writings that had been stored in pots and caves uh, near the Dead Sea. And because of the, uh, the climate and so forth, they had been preserved, a lot of them. Again, some of them were just fragments. But in both of those, from the Septuagint, which precedes Christ, the time of Christ, and uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have this translation from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21. When, David, when King David heard of all these things, he was angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him since he was his firstborn. It seems that perhaps the love of David... If you do research in regard to why David did not uh, punish his son, it seems that the Jews have always believed that the reason nothing was done to Amnon by King David is what is stated here in the Septuagint as well as what we find in the writings in the Dead Sea Scrolls. He would not punish him because he was blinded by love. He was oblivious to what was going on. We see one side sometimes. We see only the side of the one who means the most to us. But I ask you the question this morning, just how uninvolved must David have been in the life of his children? Not to have been able to see it. Not to have been able to know we know what happened later with Absalom. He, he would try to take over and be king. What about the other son, Adonijah? Amnon, he went off the rails. Absalom would go off the rails. He had another son, Adonijah. Adonijah, he tried to be king too. We forget about him a lot of times. Adonijah, according to the book of 1 Kings, was the pretty boy out of the bunch. And David never corrected him. What the scriptures say? How uninvolved was David? Man after God's own heart in the life of his own children. He was oblivious evidently to what's going on. He didn't see the signs. Didn't see what was going on. Certainly we wouldn't want to occupy that position either, would we? Let me just quickly put a couple of things up on the screen for us. What are some of the signs of physical abuse? They're pretty obvious, a lot of them. You know, if you've got uh, bruises or burns or cuts, you know, some of those kinds of things, you probably want to ask some questions. It may be the child has just been running and playing and he fell down and, you know. They're obvious sometimes, obvious answers. But you want to be involved enough to, to see and to know. What about a number of these other things in here that uh, we don't have time this morning to deal with them? They're, they're readily available. If you just search uh, signs of abuse on the Internet or physical abuse on the Internet, they're, they're readily available, you know. But up here, common sense dictates that we see a lot of these things, that we as Christians 
should be aware of in regard to the life of those who are around us. Not only do you have the signs of physical abuse, and again, I'm not going to take time to read those, but you can go and search them out. There are some behavioral, behavioral signs as well, such as changes in the way affection is shown. You know, not only that, but suddenly being afraid to be touched. Sudden onset of nightmares. Some of these have reasonable explanations. But we still need to be involved enough. We can't be oblivious to the different things. And again, I don't have time to to deal with each one of these in detail and to read them, but changes in sleep patterns and sudden regression to childlike behavior, such as sucking the thumb or, or if they've been potty trained, going back, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, to, to using their, their, uh, the bathroom in their pants again, stuff like that. Sudden unusual interest in or knowledge of sexual matters. All kinds of things that we need to open our eyes to and to be aware of because we don't want to be be oblivious. Why? According to the book of Galatians chapter 6 at verse number 2, Christians are instructed to bear one another's burdens. Does that mean just that, oh, you know, I went through a hard time the other day because somebody said something to me at school or at work? Or, or does it just mean that I'm, I'm having a hard time because I lost my job? Are many not burdened by abuse? Tragically, more than we would care to admit. You see, David was oblivious. And that's what we have a lot of times when we find those who are associated with abuse. But last of all this morning, let's talk about this last character. In cases of abuse, we have to consider the avenger. There are sometimes avengers. Not on comic strips and cartoons and movies, but avengers. 2 Samuel 13, verses 23 through 29 James read for us this morning. Notice how it begins. After two full years. The events that are about to take place take place two years after the rape of Tamar. After two full years, something happens. Now, I'm not going to take time to read, but basically this. Absalom says, you know what? It's sheep shearing time. What difference does that make? Well, sheep shearing time was a time of celebration. They would have parties and all kinds of celebrations that were associated with that time of year. And so it came that time of year and Absalom said, okay, let's go up to sheep shearing. It's not that Absalom wanted his brothers to help him hold the sheep and shear them and do those kinds of things. He even asked David, his father, the king. Surely he's not asking David to go, would you help shear this thing? I mean, I know you were a shepherd when you were growing up. Uh, let's go up to the celebration. He says, let Amnon go with us. 
you can't go, king, just let Amnon go with us. All the, all the king's sons are going. You know, we're going to the vacation house. David says, why does Amnon need to go? Maybe David is sort of suspecting, but is, he just can't get it all straightened out yet. But Absalom brings them together. And according to the passage, we go on down in verse 28, and here's what we find. Absalom commanded his servants. When Amnon is partying, and he's not suspecting anything, when I tell you, kill him. They didn't really want to do that, but Absalom was the king's son. They were his servants. He said, don't worry about it, I got it covered. Kill him. And they did. You see, Absalom through the hands of his servants, becomes the avenger. You know, I mentioned a few times in this series, wouldn't you really like to go out into the woods with someone who is an abuser? Two went in, one came out. Now, I said that for a reason. I'm coming to this point. Yes, we should truly be offended. We should pray for the punishment of one who would refuse to repent of abuse, all of those kinds of things. But as much as we would like to, that's not what Christians do. God said, never avenge yourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse number 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now let me, let me just make one clarification here before, before we move forward. The Lord did not say, never defend yourselves. He said, never avenge yourselves. Those are two different words. It's not just that they're spelled differently. They mean different things. The word avenge means to inflict harm in return for injury or harm done. To inflict harm or return uh, for, in return for injury or harm done. In the case of Absalom and Amnon, it was two years later. He finally got what he deserved. You know, that's the attitude. To defend means to resist an attack. Made or resist on an attack that is made to protect from harm or danger. Someone who's being attacked, I think as a Christian, we could step in and defend that person. 
But we don't wait two years or two months and then go avenge them. God said, avenge, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to His wrath. Well, again this morning, what about His wrath? Sometimes there's no justice. But in the wrath, and somehow I left out a slide here, but Romans chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, the Bible says, For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. But he does, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Why? He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The civil government is to be the one who carries out God's vengeance today. Sometime I may preach a whole sermon on that, need to, especially in our context of what's going on in our nation and our world today. So much is said about police officers and events you don't want to be afraid, do what's right. Don't be a thug. You don't have to worry. I didn't make that up. God did. He's the one who carries out God's wrath. But sometimes there's no justice in this life, right? Sometimes the civil government misses it. Amnon got away with it for two full years. King David did nothing. He was the civil government at that time. People often get away with horrible crimes. But they won't get away. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, sexual matters in this case, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As he told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. There may be no justice in this life, but there will be justice. God is the avenger. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to others when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer punishment 
of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His might. Indeed, they may get away with it here. But without repentance, which means change in action as well as change in heart, God will handle it as it should be. As we close, there's still those who abet. There's still those who are oblivious. And there are still those who want to be avengers. Christians should be none of those. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. You want to obey the gospel. You want to do what's right. God's made it possible for you to do that. He sent His Son so that He could make a way for you. We sang a song this morning, I know the Lord will find a way for me. He's found it. And He's made it possible for us to have eternal salvation. Maybe this morning that you need to respond to His invitation to do what's right, to have your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. It may be this morning that there's something that's separating you from God, that you need our prayers, the prayers of those who are seeking to do what's right. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation today for whatever reason it may be, do it right now.